Hey everyone, this is Craig Horlbeck from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Join me, Danny Heifetz, and Danny Kelly every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to help you win your draft, win your league, and most importantly, avoid that last place punishment. Follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Hello and welcome to Dual Threat. I'm Nora Pizziotti. And I'm Stephen Ruiz. We've got a great show today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Patriots. We're going to play a new game we've come up with called Grift or No Grift. <laughs> we felt like we needed to call out some scammers this week. That's what it was feeling yeah. like. You know. It, it's, it's been more than enough time. We're a month into the season. It's time to name some frauds. That's the tenor of the show. Uh, and then we'll go through just a few little news items this week. A couple meaningful activations off the pup list. Jonathan Taylor, Cooper Cup, um, JC Jackson traded back to New England from the LA Chargers. So we'll get to all of that in a little bit. But we are actually going to start in New England because the Patriots stink, Stephen. They're one and three. They have a terrible offense. They had one job coming into the season, which was to look respectable on that side of the ball, try to erase the memories of of the two-headed Joe Judge, Matt Patricia coordinated monster at offense from last year. And it hasn't happened. Shockingly, uh, with the caveat that they have had very good strength of competition through the first month of the season, they look even worse. Um, they lead the league in the percentage of their drives that end in a punt or a turnover, 71%. Pretty bad. What is your sort of big picture assessment of the Patriots right now? I I think it's like warped because they have played a tough schedule and they're playing against teams that should beat them. So I, I do think like it's probably better than it was a year ago. It's just like hard to recognize that now. But I think the the assessment is the same. It's the the assessment we've had for this team since Mac Jones was drafted. They, there's not enough talent on the on the offense. Like my my comparison is it's like playing chess with all pawns. Like you don't <laughs> have those special pieces that can move in different ways and force your opponent to to take up different strategies. They just don't have that. It's easy to defend this offense because it's constricted to a small space on the field. They're really boxed in when you think about it. Like 
You don't really have to worry about outside the numbers. You don't really have to worry about deep. Uh, when they pass the ball, you don't have to worry about Mac Jones scrambling too much. I know he's done it. He's pro- probably better at it than people give him credit for, but it's not something like you're worried about. If he scrambles, he might get like five yards. It's not like he's going to get 15. So it's just the lack of constraints they can put on teams. And I think during that rookie season, they did that through scheme. Like there was a lot of like end arounds, a lot of screen passes, a lot of double passes. And that's kind of how they worked around the lack of talent. Then Josh McDaniels leaves. They replace him with a defensive coordinator and a special teams coordinator. It doesn't work. Now they have Bill O'Brien out there. And I think Bill O'Brien's doing better stuff. But there's just no way to make up for the fact that they don't have stud receivers on the outside. They don't have a quarterback who can create plays on his own. And... I think there's just an expiration date when you run the offense like they did in 2021. Like you can't continue to do that. As we saw during Max rookie year, at the end when teams kind of forced him to be the guy, that's when he fell off a little bit. And we haven't seen him recover really since then. There are some areas to me where they're they're leaving meat on the boat. And this is the part that really confuses me. Because if we go back to last season, there was... There was a whole bucket of things that went wrong that that I would put in the general the general incompetence bucket. Let's put that like the the wackiness of it all aside. There were also some basic schematic things where where it was really confusing why they weren't doing them. Chief among them was was running play action, running more play action than they were using. Mac was a lot better with it. He was sort of constantly talking about how he liked using it. And then they just didn't. They're still not doing it. They've run 26 plays with play action so far this season. They've run 247 without it. They are a much better offense using play action than not using it. And they're just not doing it. I don't have a good explanation for why they're not doing it. Do you think it's the offensive line? No, I think that's part of it. But I think the problem is, well, one, the offensive line, like you have to get into certain formations to run it effectively. And like those formations are like under center, heavy formations where the offensive line really plays a role in the success of a run play. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is like game scripts. They fall in behind in every game and you don't run play action when the defense doesn't expect you to run. So like I, I think like it's hard to say that it's, oh, they're not running enough play action because I don't think they've been in situations where they're able to run play action or where they're able to run it and it's going to be effective. Like, they could have ran play action when they were down double digits to Philadelphia or, or Dallas, and maybe the the rate would have been like 35% and they're at the top of the league. I just don't think those plays would have worked. So I think it's like a combination of personnel and then game script. But like against Dallas, their first play, they went under center, they ran play action, there was a wide open guy over the middle and Mac hit him. I think, like, I, I do think it's situation dependent, but I also I think it's just like how you have to run the offense to get the most out of Mac Jones. Well, the most out of him, where you can you can convince yourself that he's like a franchise level player. Like, if he's just running the Jimmy G offense, that's not what you want out of a first round pick. So I kind of see why they haven't run it as much as they did with like even Bailey Zappi last year. I do agree they should run it a little bit more, but like they haven't been able to so far this year. Here's where I'm coming from is that when you watch Mac Jones, like he looks his his confidence looks completely shot. 
And there <laughs> is, and we should get into this, there is a chicken or the egg thing where we might just be finding out, and maybe you would say that you found this out a long time ago, that this just wasn't the pick. He's not the guy, and there's a ceiling that's pretty low as long as Mac Jones is your quarterback. We should have that conversation, but this team also went into this year with an owner who like every second sentence out of his mouth when there's a microphone around is, I'm really upset that we haven't haven't had a playoff win in a long time. And there's this sort of effective mandate of, and to me, it's like, we don't even need to be a Super Bowl team. It's just sort of like, make the playoffs. It's realistic. It's be, a realistic goal. It's like, be good in that way. And the fact that they are failing to do that right now and that the quarterback looks like, I mean, when he got benched in that Cowboys game, the second interception, it was, it, he just didn't want to be out there anymore. And to me, that's when you do have a responsibility to run a little bit more of the stuff that he's comfortable with. I don't really care what the game script is. I mean, they should stop like turning the ball over twice in a row at the beginning of games so that they fall behind by two scores, like two minutes into every game, which is what it feels like. But they're getting into this situation where there's sort of like a dual responsibility to get Mac feeling a little bit more comfortable than he's feeling, which is not to absolve him of his particular shortcomings. My it's not that I have a problem with that being like, if we diagnose what's the issue here, it's not that it's not that if you're saying, well, the issue is that you don't have the right quarterback. It's not necessarily that I disagree. It's just that he's who they have right now. And if you're Bill Belichick, like I think he's got about a, a year, like the full year and, and maybe next year or part of next year to figure it out. They have to make a decision on on the fifth year option at the end of this season on Mac. Um, I don't really know how you could do that, how you could give it to him right now. But you've got to make something of, of this team or you're in danger of losing your job. And I don't know, like in the next 18 months, are the Patriots going to have a better quarterback than Mac Jones? Uh, maybe. I don't think that's too hard to find. Like, I think you get like Ryan Tannehill and he's a better version of what you want Mac Jones to be. I think, like, I agree with you. I think like Mac, I've heard people point out the, the turnovers. Like Mac's not protecting the football and that's not a way for this team to win. But like, you're not playing that ball control, protect the football style of, style of offense when you rank at the bottom of the league in rushing anyway. Like, so I agree with you to that point. Like they don't have the running game anyway to run the type of offense that Mac might need. And that's a failure of Bill Belichick building this roster. The offensive line isn't good enough. The pieces on the outside do nothing to deter the defense from loading up the box. There are so many issues. And, and then you look at like the start of the season. And even, even like at the beginning of the segment, I gave them credit because they are playing against a tough schedule. But I think this this run has proven how far off they are from getting to the point where they're contending for Super Bowls yeah. again. 
Like, I know, like, Robert Kraft has lowered the bar to just make the playoffs, please. But that's not the bar for Bill Belichick, I'm assuming. I'm assuming Bill Belichick still wants to contend for rings, and they're not close to it. I, I don't know what you do. I don't know what the answer is for the rest of the year. I think it's just, like, stop turning the ball over, run the football better, figure out a way to run the football better, and try to make it work for this year. But I think so far, through four weeks, we could probably call it. Like, there's no way you give Mac Jones the fifth-year option unless he he turns it on for the, from here on out and is one of the better quarterbacks in the league. But as things stand right now, given everything we've seen over the last year and a half, I, I think you just have to start looking to the future. And if that means, like, playing younger guys at the end of the year and maybe and not tanking, but because I don't think Bill Belichick will ever tank, but maybe not trying your best to win every week is probably the best path moving forward, given the quarterback class that's coming up. So the thing that that would require, though, is organizational leadership and and specifically the crafts giving up on on this thing that they keep saying, which is that the goal here is is the playoffs and they really want to get back to the playoffs. And that's the only thing that they care about. I agree with you. I think the I think the most rational course of action for them is to accept that they're not a playoff team and they're not particularly. I don't want to say they're not particularly close to being a playoff team because you can be a pretty mediocre team and make the playoffs, but that they are not a good roster right now. And and I don't think, I, I really don't think the idea that Bill Belichick woke up one morning and forgot how to coach a football team makes any sense. Like that guy still understands how to run an organization and how to coach situations and the details of football better than anyone. Like there's that's just not something that you forget. But I do think that there's this thing going on where it's like a Bill Belichick team can't be bad and they can be like, this is a bad team. And the way that I think it affects them the most is in, in roster construction. There was a story last week that Joe judge put like, came into the locker room and put sweatshirts on everybody's locker that said, um, no one is coming. It's up to us. <laughs> Which is, first of all, it's dark, man. Like, chill out. But that's like, where is the self-awareness to me? Because if you look at all of the, like, if you look at the contenders around the AFC in particular, you have a lot of teams and you have the good teams who've done quite a bit to support their quarterbacks and who, when they think they're in a contending window, when they want to be a consistent playoff team, there's a certain amount of aggression that goes into roster building where, you know, you put Jamar Chase and T. Higgins with Joe Burrow you do what the Dolphins have have done offensively to build this like crazy athletic super team. You surround Josh Allen with talent. I am not saying that Mac is any of those guys. But he is in this situation where he might not have it himself. And then you look at what they've been doing around him and they go into this offseason where like, Right tackle's a big concern. And it's like, oh, well, let's give Riley Reef $5 million and cross our fingers that he's going to be healthy. 
that's like the only quarterback that you might be able to build that way around is Patrick Mahomes. Mac or Jones Tom is not Brady Patrick Mahomes. 10 years ago. Or Tom Brady, right. And it and that's the more operative example because they have all of that. I just think they have all of that muscle memory and they think that they can get away with it. And they cannot get away with it. I mean, there's not a good downfield receiver in this bunch. Mac Jones is facing a ton, a ton of cover one. He's first in attempts against cover one on third downs. So when they need to to pick something up and they're in a passing situation, that's what defenses think that they can get away with against them. And they have not done a single thing to prove them wrong. The only receiver in this bunch right now who's shown some actual explosive separation ability is Pop Douglas, who's an undrafted rookie who got benched in the first month of the year for fumbling which is another thing that like they're just not good enough to do. They can't sacrifice the talent of their undrafted receiver who nobody'd ever heard of 3 months ago. And like when when all of those things are happening, you're just not a good team. And it's not that like there are plenty of bad teams, but it's just to me the problem with the Patriots is that they're a bad team that thinks that they're a good team, which makes me concerned about how they're going to go about trying to fix it. Because if you're looking at this roster and maybe I'm making too much of a sweatshirt here, but if you're, if your message is nobody's coming, it's up to us. Then like, yeah, bang the gavel. It's not, it's not getting any better because this group is not equipped to compete with the other contending teams in, in, in the conference. Who, but who is saying they're a good team? Like, who is operating as if they are a good team? I feel like that's the perception the of Robert Kraft. But I feel like that's what, I feel like Belichick, and you brought up this point, it's kind of muscle memory, but it's also like the things the Patriots are doing that we're criticizing them for now are things that we used to celebrate them for. Like, not, like, their restraint. Like, not pushing all of their chips into the middle of the table when it doesn't make sense to I think it makes total sense. Like, you can make the argument that it makes total sense not to sell out and give up a bunch of draft picks to trade for, like, T. Higgins and mortgage your future a little bit for a quarterback like Mac Jones, because what is that going to get you? Yes, it's going to get you to the playoffs, and and maybe, like, that will save Bill Belichick's job. But I personally, I think he, he could probably survive not making the playoffs because he's Bill Belichick, and I don't think Robert Kraft wants to be the one to fire him. But, like... Let's say they did sell out and they and they got all these guys. Would we expect them to contend for a Super Bowl? Would they beat the Chiefs? Would they beat the Bills? Would they beat the Dolphins? Would they beat any of these teams? The Bengals, the Ravens? No, they wouldn't. They would probably probably lose in the first round. And then we would be saying they did all this and they 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 traded all these draft picks and then use all this cap space on a team that's quarterbacked by Mac Jones. Like that's so dumb. That's so naive. So like I can see both sides of it, and I think the the comments from Kraft saying, "Oh, we got to make the playoffs." kind of warped the perception of how the team is operating. If you never heard those comments, I wouldn't con- I wouldn't be like, oh, Belichick is, is desperate to win. This is them trying to put the best team on, on the field possible. I, I, I feel like it's a guy biding his time to next year when they can blow this up and start over again because the current edition of this team isn't good enough, isn't anywhere near good enough. And I don't think it ever will be as long as they don't have a better quarterback. If that's the case, it it remains, which it already does. Absurd they didn't go after Lamar. Yes. 
Like it's it's just absurd because there's no there's no way that I, Bill Belichick doesn't want to win games and doesn't want to put a contending team on the field. I do think that I don't know. I I think I think it's a little harder than you do to to find a good quarterback. Um, hey, it's not good quarterback. Ryan Tannehill doesn't Jones. like fill me with excitement right now. And that says more about Mac Jones than Ryan Tannehill. If he's an upgrade and he doesn't like get you excited, what does that say about Mac Jones? Also, you might have to fight Arthur Smith to make it happen. Um, <laughs> Mac has been the the sort of the problem where it's like he was just good enough as a rookie that maybe you delude yourself into into thinking that there's something there. But they did like, and this is there's a little bit of sunk cost, but they those were choices that they made. And I think if you were ever going to try to go through this this rookie contract, maybe like maybe the appropriate thing would have been to say, we've seen enough for Mac to think that, you know, we don't have a better option right now, even though there have been some, but we are putting our heads in the sand and we don't want to try to get a Lamar because we're very silly, but we don't want to. And so while this guy is on his rookie contract and while we have the extra cap room because of that, we're going to try to field the best roster possible. I don't think that they have behaved in a way that that maximizes that. They don't like, and it is responsible towards the future. And it has them in a better salary cap space position entering next year than it than it would if they'd tried to sell out and do this. But if you're not gonna do that, then you're probably better off just just tearing it down a little bit more. But then the defense is too good. So I, I I do not think. I think it's complicated because Jones is a limited quarterback. But I do think that they've and I and he's not playing well. I do think that they have in, in some ways failed him because I think most teams would have put more around him. And I think they treat him on some level like he's just going to become Tom Brady and be able to be an elevator like that. And that's just ridiculous. Like, at a certain point, he can't help that he's Mac Jones. And it's a little silly to to watch them sort of over and over again act like that's that's going to somehow change. Okay, this is my only request. Of, of everybody going forward. Like, we say that the fact that they haven't built around Mac Jones is like proof that Bill Belichick doesn't understand the modern game. You like look at other examples, Josh Allen getting Stefan Diggs, Jalen Hurts getting A.J. Brown, Tua getting Tyreek, and that helping a young quarterback. I think the, the, the proof that Belichick doesn't completely understand the modern game was the Mac Jones draft pick. It happened before he decided not to build around it. So that's, that's the only thing I'm saying. That's what how I want people to start talking about this. That was the mistake. That what, was the, the sh- proof that he doesn't understand modern offense. What should they have done there? 
not drafted Mac Jones. <laughs> like so draft just take Justin Jefferson. Oh wait, no, he wasn't in that draft. I'm forgetting draft uh, wide receiver, whichever wide receiver was available. I don't know anybody but the quarterback who is not a first round talent. I think trade back and draft him in the second round. I don't know. I just, I mean, Davis Mills could have done all this. <laughs> That's really the headline, isn't it? Davis Mills could have done all this. I, <laughs> I'm. I just want to know what they like. What the what the road not taken was because it's not like look we would be having a different conversation if they had traded up and and sold out to get him they're sitting there at 15 half the league thinks Kyle Shanahan's going to take the guy at 3 he ends up falling to, so silly it's just such a silly sport how like how is that how did that happen how did we spend months being like, Kyle Shanahan is going to take Mac Jones third overall? And it was maybe true. Anyway. He did fall into their lap in some ways. And. Yeah, sometimes a grenade falls in your lap. That doesn't mean it's a good thing. <laughs> there is one quarterback from that first round. You wrote about this. There's one quarterback from that first round who's worked out. One, everybody else didn't have it. And some of those guys are pretty athletic. Justin Fields on the Patriots. I think it goes better. I think it goes a little bit better. It went better with Cam Newton. Cam Newton was like 35 and had no body left. <laughs> and they had a better offense than they have now. Yeah. And I mean, he was throwing it like Jacoby Myers. And I don't even like, who was his top receiver? Demir Bird was his top receiver that year. <laughs> Demir Bird and it was Jacoby better. Myers. Well, like all you have but, to have okay, is a sorry, quarterback now who can that, move now a that little. You've brought it, but, but now that you've brought it up, fine. Don't surround Mac Jones with with plus talent. Don't go mortgage your future. Don't go like blah 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 blah. How about you pay Jacoby Myers the same amount of money that you're paying Juju Smith Schuster to just be a better receiver on your offense? What about that? Barely costs a cent. I mean. The one, like, the one, literally the one guy at that position that they've, they've, they can have a genuine claim to having developed in the last, like, decade. And they're just like, oh, yeah, go have, have, you know, 19 million, too rich for our blood. Go have fun in Las Vegas. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. There are no answers. Like, it's, it's. It's the quarterback, well, although, it's the front know, maybe, office, maybe, it's the team that, building. It's Maybe as we're talking about it, the thing that, like, and this is sort of the, the um, you know, the, the hindsight regret to me that we haven't gotten to sort of watch this other than the Cam Newton year is like, maybe you're right to say that, that in that situation, yes, Mac Jones falls to them and I think that's a justifiable decision. But you are Bill Belichick. Maybe in hindsight, the choice should have been like, okay, let's do something really wacky 
lean into the coaching ability. I, I agree with you. I think Justin Fields would be in a better situation if he'd gone to New England. No, I think Justin Fields would have would be in a better situation if he if he'd gone to like I don't know, twenty five other teams, maybe more the than XFL. that. Uh, <laughs> but it does seem like like it seems like in some ways the offense has just been like has been a little bit of an afterthought and has been like, well, let's just be, let's just be okay. And let's just try to get by. And most of the creativity and the effort and the thought there seems to be going on the the defensive side of the ball. And maybe it would have been better if, if more of the creativity and more of the brain power got applied to let's see if we can get a little bit more creative on the offensive side of the ball instead of just saying, well, let's get, you know, let's get a sort of limited point guard and just have him distribute. And that'll keep us afloat so that our defense can win games. It's just that once you're like, this is where it, you know, it starts becoming self-fulfilling and the snake just starts eating its tail because it's like, once you're in that situation, you sort of have to, to, try to make it work. And that's where I think that they've just shot themselves in the foot. Um, But I do think that, look, like this was the year where they had to make the decision on the fifth year option. And I don't, I don't know how you do it at, at this point. So one way or another, we are probably coming to the end of the, the road here. Yeah. It's bleak. It's getting bleak. But the good news is you, those, those, was it five rings aren't going anywhere. Enjoy the last 20 Six. years. It's over. Well, okay. Sorry. I'm like going to stop ranting about this in a second because we've talked about this for half an hour. But like that, to me, like that is part of the problem is that every time it gets brought up that they've been a bad team, that they haven't built a competitive roster. And like the Belichick has literally started doing this. Somebody will bring something up like you haven't had a, you know, horrible track track record drafting second round picks. This happened a year ago or two. Somebody asked him the question and he's like, well, Matt Light was a second round pick. It's like, my dude, that was 20 years ago. Like we got to, we got to move on. He's, he's, he just like, they're becoming like a tribute band. It's like they had the Tom Brady ceremony at the beginning of the season. And that's the best thing that's happened all year. And I do think that, like, I, I do think that their history is is complicating things right now because the idea that the Bill Belichick New England Patriots would, like, tear it all down and rebuild is just not something that anybody has it in their bones to accept. So then he gets asked questions about why things aren't going well and or, like, what he would say to the fans who are are watching a bad season and you know he had another he had another quote last year that got a lot of attention where he was like well I don't think that there's been a lot of thin years around here and it's just like that's true that's a hundred percent true but it doesn't like he used to always be the guy who would talk about right. last year doesn't mean anything yeah yeah and it's like somebody's got to tell him that that actually applies to the la- the last 20 years as, as well. And you can't just keep like saying, you know, scoreboard when you're actually talking about stuff that happened a decade ago. No, they won the Super Bowl in 2018 and like 
it's like Belichick has just been doing bits since then. <laughs> like they had the three pass game. They had the one game where they won with like the, I don't even remember where they like accepted the delay of game penalty or, or they purposefully got one or something. He's just yeah. been doing that stuff since then. And those like, he's, he's like, Oh, checked off another box. And he's maybe he's content with that, but it's not going to get better anytime soon. I, I, I agree with you. I think this is the beginning of the, or this is the middle of the end. The beginning of the end was probably the end of the 2019 season. What would you do if I gave you a sweatshirt that said no one is coming? <laughs> I so would not wear it. It didn't. It would not come out of the closet. Right. Like, what do you, you can't go to the grocery store in that. Like this, like fatalistic. It creates no more questions than you. answers. <laughs> a good slogan, it's like, are we like in a horror movie. You don't need follow up questions for a good slogan shirt. Like the Rams covered all their bases with that one shirt that was like a paragraph. It was like a, <laughs> like three sentences. That would have been better than whatever the Patriots came up with. Okay, but jokes on us because they kind of like the Rams kind of play like that is the thing. Or it like that's a good point. Um, like dedicated players who work hard and play mistake free football or something. That's, that's the so illusion funny. of complexity or whatever Shami Bay calls it. Illusion of complexity is the. The four clause sentence on the back. That really just means we play, we try. (laughs) All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll talk about some frauds. Get ready to start the NFL week off right because right now all customers can get a no sweat same game parlay for Thursday night football. Just place a three leg same game parlay on this week's game between the commanders and the bears and you'll get bonus bets back if you don't win. I like a Brian Robinson anytime touchdown, Justin Fields over 46 and a half yards rushing, and the Commanders minus six. You can build your own or choose from one of the popular same game parlays pre-built for you in FanDuel's top rated sportsbook app. And FanDuel is now live in Kentucky. Download the app now and take advantage of their great special offers, boosts, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Ringer NFL so you don't miss out on your chance to get a no sweat same game parlay on America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, this is Dual Threat. We are back and we're going to play a game that we have lovingly named Grift or No Grift. So Stephen... I'm going to name some potential grifters. Mm -hmm. Scammers are, you know, scammers are all the rage. We've had a lot of scammers in our culture lately. And the NFL is not exempt. So I'm going to name some grifters. And you're going to tell me if they are indeed running a scam or if it's legit. Okay. Sounds like my kind of game. Let's start. With the quarterback with the highest passer rating in NFL history through 10 starts. Brock Purdy, grift or no grift? It's a grift. And I, honestly, I'm going to have to censor myself here because if, if I start on this topic, I, it, this is going to be a four-hour podcast. You thought the Patriots <laughs> discussion was long. I could go like seven hours on Brock Purdy. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I watched the film and like he's not doing anything. 
Like he's like he's running the offense well, and I get the the argument that he, oh yeah he's a good quarterback for this system and he's the right quarterback for this system. And then I get yelled at when I rank him twenty fifth. Here's my thing: I'm, I'm ranking these quarterbacks not based on their suitability for the Kyle Shanahan system. I'm ranking them based on what they would do in like a normal offense, like a league average offense. And if we put Brock Purdy in the league average offense, this game isn't gonna lead to top of the league results. And like when you the, the play that made me lose my mind this week was he, he threw a pass downfield to Brandon Ayuk over the middle of the field. It's probably like 30 yards downfield. It was into double coverage. He underthrew the ball by about 10 yards. The safety, the Cardinal safety, number 34, like overran the ball. He couldn't find it in the air. And, that, and then Ayuk tracked it down and caught it. And like 49ers Twitter is like celebrating this throw. Like Mac saw the, or Mac, I, that's a Freudian flip. Brock saw <laughs> the future. Like when he went to throw the pass, he knew the Cardinal safety was going to overrun it. He knew it. And he knew Brandon Ayuk was going to realize and track the ball and cut off his route short and, and get it. And that's why he threw it short. He did it on purpose, which is ridiculous. Like now you're trying to tell me that Brock Purdy can see the future. I don't even think he 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 can run a, a normal offense, and you're telling me he could see the future. I, I I posted a chart on Twitter the other day, and it was basically a passing map, and the field was divided into uh, like ten yard buckets down the field. So it was like behind the line of scrimmage, zero to ten yards, ten to twenty yards, twenty yards and up, and it had EPA on it. And if you look at Brock Purdy's, which is similar to the next guy we're going to talk about, Tua Tagovailoa's. He was averaging like a full Steve, Steve, point of EPA. <laughs> a full point of EPA on throws behind the line of scrimmage. The league <laughs> average is like minus 0.25 or something. The league average is basically Zach Wilson. This guy is putting up like Patrick Mahomes times four. On passes just behind the line of scrimmages, on passes from one to 10 yards, it's like the same thing compared to the NFL average, which is in the negatives. So like he's throwing the ball barely downfield. His his skill players are clearly doing all the work and he's enjoying this environment that no other quarterback in the league enjoys except for the guy that just happens to play for Kyle Shanahan's old offensive coordinator. What a coincidence. And then when you look at Jimmy G's passing map from last year, it looks exactly alike. It looks like Brock Purdy's. And guess what it looks like this year with Josh McDaniels? Nothing alike. It looks more like the league average. So like you, I mean, I feel like I'm being gaslit. You guys are telling me that throws into double coverage are good. You guys are telling me that uh, it's the quarterback when we see this system around the league producing similar results. They just don't have Christian McCaffrey. Enough. He's a grifter. The reason we're doing this segment, if you can't already tell for everyone listening, is basically because we had a meeting earlier this week and Steven just like ranted for several minutes straight about this topic. And we were sort of like, all right, I think you might need to, you might need to vent a little bit. You might need to, I think to my, let it all out. Yeah. I think my Slack message was Brock Purdy is ruining my life. <laughs> and honestly, I, I don't think that's dramatic. That's true. It's the worst thing happening in my life right now. So I'm going not a grift. He is in this office. I, I'm, I'm, I quit. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> He is in the Not summer. you, too. The game is not how good of a quarterback would Brock Purdy be if he were on the Bears. The game is, can the 49ers win the Super Bowl like this? They and can't. you think they can't? No. 
it, it, it just goes against. If they do, I'm I'm I'm, done. I'm not covering the sport again. If they win it with Brock Purdy, <laughs> Sam Darnold, sure, I can get on board with Sam Darnold. <laughs> not Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy had one incompletion last week. He actually had two, one. but the other one was negated by a bad, uh, by it wasn't a bad call, but it was a call that had no effect on the play. It didn't count, but he did incomplete another pass. I'm I'm a right. hater. Well, I'm hating what, so hard helps right now. You sleep at night. Um, I have to push we, back against this. You don't think that they can win the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy? Because here's here's how I feel: is that we've gone through, we went through years of this Jimmy where it always felt like it was on the razor's edge, right? Ah, he's going to be just mistake prone enough that I'm not sure that they can really do it. And they got as far as being up by multiple scores in an actual Super Bowl. And then that came true. So in some ways, this is not exactly the hottest of takes because they don't have that, that, that far to go. Brock gives them just enough extra in a better intermediate to deep ball and the ability to move around that he has that Jimmy didn't have. That I'm sold. I think it it mitigates some of the concerns they have on the offensive line. My argument here is not that he's being asked to do all of that much, but I think he can get him there. I I I am I am sold on if we're looking for the line of how good of a quarterback do you have to be for me to have not to eliminate the concerns about the ceiling of this offense once they're trying to make a deep playoff run, once they're playing really good teams. I mean, they're I'm so excited to see this game against the the Cowboys this weekend because I guess we'll get a, a test of one of their main opponents in the conference. But I, I think he's got it. No grift. All right. Agree to disagree. I, I will. So let's revisit sad. the question on Sunday night. Let's revisit on Sunday night after the, the Cowboys game because I okay. do think that's right. the proving ground. All right. Tua. Our league leader in yards after the catch per completion. 6.3. Purdy, by the way, is sixth at 5.6. Uh, no grift. I'm no, going to be, I'm, I'm going to shock some Dolphins fans. No grift. Like, I think the grift is him being like an MVP candidate and apparently by the numbers, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't think that's true, but I think he, there's merit to the notion that he allows this offense to run the way it does. I don't think there's merit to Brock Purdy doing that. Brock Purdy isn't doing the things Tua is doing. He's not, getting rid of the ball as quickly as Tua is doing, as uniquely as Tua is doing. He's not doing like the eye manipulation stuff nearly as much as Tua. I think like his, Tua has a unique skill set. I don't think Brock has a unique skill set. I think you can find Brock's skill set. Sam Howell has Brock's skill set. The game is not unique skill set or no unique skill set. No, but the, the grift part, like the 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 role they play in their offense, I don't think Tua is grifting. I think Tua, I think he's gaming the system a little bit, thanks to Tyreek Hill and Mike McDaniel. But I think he does allow this Dolphins offense, this Dolphins offense, to run the way that it runs. I think you could throw any old quarterback, any moderately talented quarterback, into the Shanahan system, and it will look exactly the same. So no grift for Tua. I am a little bit more on the on the 
the grift side here, just because I have more House of Cards concerns with the Dolphins than I do with the the 49ers. Only because uh, I don't think it's a grift. I don't think either one is a grift because if uh, the way that I'm defining this is. Is there something about the way that they're playing in these offenses that I think is fake? That I think is going to, by the end of the season, the rug gets pulled out and it's like, oh, well, you know, the stats were inflated because XYZ or they weren't actually that good because XYZ. I I really have bought the 49ers on that. I don't think, I don't think it's coming. It's not to say that that they're, okay. Who, which offense do you think would suffer more Actually, I have two questions. What offense do you think would suffer more if you replace the quarterbacks with their backups? And then the second part of that um, question is, I'll let you answer that first, and then I'll ask the second part. D- definitely the Dolphins. Okay. And then the second part of that question, which offense do you think would be affected more if you took the best skill player off of the roster? Like, so let's say they got hurt and they're out for the rest of the season. And I would say Tyreek is the best for the Dolphins. I would say... McCaffrey's probably the best, or at least the one that touches the ball the most for San Francisco. Which offense do you think would be impacted the most? I think... I guess I think Miami would be impacted the most. I think it's at least close. But I, and I think it's, the answer the, is... It's the, close, but I think my... I just... I think the... I think the way that, like, I think he's creating space for them in a way that is not quite apples to oranges with San Francisco, just because as amazing as Mike McDaniel is, I think, like, I think Kyle would figure it out. Um, Part of what makes it close is that in in both situations, there are other really good playmakers available, but I think it would hurt Miami more. Yeah. The only reason I think it's close is because they do have Jalen Waddle. And when they lost Jalen, and Jalen Waddle didn't play in the 70 point game and it didn't matter. And right. I think Jalen Waddle, while not as good as Tyreek Hill, can like give you 90% of that. Whereas I think like Christian McCaffrey, what he's done for that offense is he's become like the easy button. Like you could just run a call an option route out of the backfield and he's going to score a touchdown. You just flip a, a, a flare screen out to him and he takes it for a touchdown. So I think I would lean towards the 49ers being more impacted. So that's why I'm saying, like, I think two is more important to this, to this build and to this setup. I do agree with you that it's more fragile, but I do think he's more important. Like, he's he's serving as the foundation for it. Whereas, I guess that's just two different Brock, ways of defining defining grift. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's sure. my point is that I think it's more fragile, and part of that is just like, okay, yes, I I do think that the the, I mean, look, the Dolphins have already shown that you can take a waddle out of the equation and they're they're totally fine. And that run game is developing in a way where they have more buttons to press than they did last season, certainly. With the 49ers, it's sort of like, okay, if they're without McCaffrey, they still, like, not a grift the season that Brandon Ayuk is having, for instance. And they've still got Debo. Like, there are there are more plus playmakers on that offense that I think they're better equipped to to lose one of the big ones. Um, 
but it's close. All right. The Vic Fangio coaching tree. Uh, see, I was one of the people that was writing about Brandon Staley and hyping him up and how this is like a different approach to defense. I still think that's true. I think the thing that I overlooked and people like me that were writing about this overlooked is that it was, it wasn't like some radical change that was going to revolutionize the sport. Although I do think it changed it a little bit. I think it was just like a short-term solution to a problem that defenses had. And I think we're starting to figure that out as, as the defenses have gone. The problem being that they were getting getting beaten deep all the time? Yeah, over the top, like in the passing game. And we've seen defense, our offenses kind of counter that by going back to more heavy personnel, under center right. runs, pulling guards, downhill runs. And the Fangio tree hasn't had an answer for that. And I think like the thing that decides the longevity of, of a scheme, like for instance, Bill Belichick's scheme, is the ability to adapt. Like, Bill Belichick's scheme has never been one thing for too long. Like, it was like, at the beginning of it, it was like three, four fire zone coverage. By the, by like 2015, it was like a lot of man coverage. That's what we knew the Patriots right. for. And then now they're going back to more of a zone type system. Uh, Fangio, I, I don't think the Fangio tree has that in them. They kind of do, they play soft against the run on purpose. And I think teams are trying, are starting to figure out how to still beat the passing coverages that they, they they play whilst getting that those gains on the ground and it's just falling apart across the league and I think the Fangio coaches that have done well are deviating away from the core foundations and philosophies of the defense so I'm going to say grift it's a grift I, I mean so okay the Packers and Joe Barry with like 800 first round picks on that roster 21st in defensive DVOA. Staley and the Chargers are 22nd. <clears throat> Joe Woods and the Saints are 9th. That's a good defense, but it's really Dennis Allen. And I do think it's what you're talking about, where last year league-wide, there were the fewest number of passes that traveled 15 air yards or more since 2006. So, yes, it, it it's not a grift that this, that it kind of took the league by storm, but the idea that there weren't going to be adjustments, right? Like the 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 smarts of it were that it was ahead of the curve and it was a great matchup against the way that teams wanted to play for a while and now that's changed. I think like here's the grift. Scheme. Scheme is the ultimate grift of, calling, of the yeah. last like decade of the NFL is that we've convinced ourselves that there is a way to like that there is something more important than just having good players and playing to their strengths and and having multiple ways to win. And it's ridiculous. Like, And it's just going to be proven false over and over and over again. The defenses that have succeeded this way had the benefit of, of being a little bit ahead of the curve and also having really good, had, having really good players. I think Brandon Staley is a really smart guy, and I think he was was perceptive about the where the league was going in designing those Rams defenses. That also had Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> Doesn't mean that the scheme wasn't good, but it's like we've yeah. all of these things have happened. We've become this like the scheme is the most important thing about how you're you're building a defense or an offense or whatever it is. And it's, it's a grift. It's a huge grift. Yeah. 
I think what we do is like we look at the the play callers that do make a difference. Like Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, clearly their play calling makes a difference. Of course. That doesn't mean the other 98% of play callers make a difference. And I think like we kind of confuse the fact that there are a couple that that move the needle and then the rest of them don't. You could say the same thing about like a linebacker. There's a lot of different, like, first of all, play calling is not pure scheme. Like something that I, like not a grift and probably really underrated in coaching is like play sequencing as a game is going on, is understanding how how the scheme fits together with the players so that you can know how to layer your calls in, in a game or have a good relationship with a player to decide how you want to attack a certain situation or blah, 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 or when to be aggressive. That is, is a skill set that some of these guys have in spades and is really, really valuable. And I'm not, I'm not saying that having a well-designed offense is not valuable, but like you can't look at the Dolphins right now, for instance, and tell me Mike McDaniel is winning with scheme and mean by that he has drawn up his, his little X's and O's and they are foolproof before you, you, assess who the people running the plays are. What is working is that he knows how to design a good offense for when you have Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill and like the fastest running backs in in the sport and understanding how it all fits together. But it seems like we're operating in this way where it's like, oh, well, just to turn it back to what we were actually talking about. Oh, this team is going to import a, a a Fangio defense and that's the good defense. So now they're going to be good. Grift. You, you, you like indirectly called out like the analytics community. Who's like, Oh, 12, play, 12 personnel play action. It's good. It always works. Why don't teams run it more? It's because like it works because teams don't run it a lot. And I feel like, I agree, like play calling is the most overrated thing in the sport. And it's like the one thing like fans kind of default to when their team is struggling. It's just like, oh, the plays are terrible. The offensive coordinator is bad. Like, it's so hard to assess and to know what's going on and why things are failing. Like, it's impossible to say that in the middle of a second, like the second quarter of a game on but Sunday. It's, like, it's impossible. Not, like, my point is not that like play calling it's not that like in-game play calling doesn't matter or is overrated. I actually think that like in-game play calling is probably underrated. It's it's these ideas of like, oh, wide zone is good. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Grift, like when? When is, with who? Like what is, right, what is yeah. it going to do for your specific team with your specific ch- set of challenges? And like, there's probably not a better example of that than the idea that like, if you import a defensive coordinator from the Fangio coaching tree, all of a sudden your defense is going to be sound. So are you saying that, are you saying that the Patriots running more play action wouldn't fix the offense? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I was waiting for that one. Wow, you had that queued up. I'm hit. No, I still think it would help. 
Play action is like okay. play action doesn't you count. are play action. you're grifting. I'm calling it. You're grifting us right no, now. Play action, not a grift. Play action is not a grift. Okay. No, it actually is a grift. That's the the concept. It's a grift. That's why it works. No, a grift like it's, it's a grift is not something that works. A grift is not like finding something that's relatively easy to do that's still no. Beneficial. The grift is the fake a- run play. <laughs> it's that's a the lie. grift. It's deceptive. What was the the Jerry Rice tweet about RPOs? Whatever, like the conservative <laughs> trickery. Trickery. What did he say? I don't forget what he called it. What happened <laughs> to lining up and just playing? Trickery. Okay, I'm I'm willing to play. Action is not a grift, but it is inherently dishonest, and it is destroying the fabric of our communities. How about that? Yeah, Ben Johnson is a liar. <laughs> oh wow, um, I'm seeing that. I actually don't think that I had added this to our rundown, but I'm seeing it there now. I'm seeing um, David Tepper on the list for grifter. No, not that a was grift. me. Where that did this me. come from? He is. He's a grifter. The Panthers owner is a grifter. He when he first took over the team for Jerry Richardson, who was by all accounts a, a terrible human being. It, when he took over, he like talked about analytics and how he studied the data, and it, he got everyone excited. Like, oh, it's it's a, it's a new Jerry age Richardson of, less uh, less a grifter than just like openly abhorrent. No, he's yeah, he was he was open with it, uh, but. He got everyone excited. We were like, "Oh, the, the Panthers are going to make decisions based on evidence. They're going to they're going to be smart going forward." And it turns out that's not really the case. Like, and I think the problem is analytics, like the definition of analytics for one person is different for another person. Like some people might consider analytics like when you run the ball 20 times, you win x percentage of the time. And I think that was the case with with uh Tepper as evidenced by him hiring Matt Rule who is one of the the champions of uh, of that idea that if you run the ball this amount of times you win the game usually like Matt Rule has said that before and somehow he got interviewed by David Tepper and that was enough they inter- they hired him gave him 60 million dollars didn't interview anybody else after they interviewed uh, Matt Rule and i say this is a grift because he did the same exact thing with the soccer team that he owns the MLS team in Charlotte where they had initial success, the coach was doing well, and for some reason, David Tepper decided, this isn't good enough, we need a new coach. And the team has been terrible since then. So this is a pattern. I grew up around Washington, D.C. My family, they were all Commanders fans. I know a bad owner when I see one. I grew up with Daniel Snyder. This is early Daniel Snyder. He's too, he meddles too much. He, I think he meddled in the first pick. I don't think... Frank Reich wanted to take a 5'9 quarterback with the first overall pick. I think he saw that S2 score that Bryce Young put out. He believes in the data. I'm putting scare quotes around that and, and wanted them to pick Bryce Young because of it. And it's not working out I can confirm so that far. he did put scare quotes around it. So that, that's why I'm calling him a grifter. Bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And I think he thinks he's smarter than he is. And I think he is too involved in football decisions. And it's set this franchise back at least a couple years. We'll see what happens in the next few years. I do think the Frank Reich hire was a good one, but I don't know if Frank Reich is going to be the one making the the important decisions around there. All right, next one. Matt Canada's burner Twitter account at DannyFootball77. I should say this has been debunked. It's It's not Matt Canada's burner, which I do think begs the question, who framed Matt Canada? 
That's a good question. Can you pick it? If anybody mi- missed this story, there was a uh, there's a Twitter account at Danny Football seventy seven. I don't know if it's still up. Um, who people found tweeting things like responding to tweets about the Steelers that were critical of Matt Canada's offense with things like when the next guy doesn't magically turn into Patrick Mahomes, he'll be cast away too. And is Canada the one turning the ball over? And these are things that no rational human would, would say. So the conclusion that was fairly easily jumped to was that this could be Matt Canada's burner account. And so somebody, you know, goes through the, the traditional motions of trying to log in so that you can see what the recovery email address is. And Involved it was on. like M, you know, asterisk, 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 dot C, blah, 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 at S, blah, 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 dot com. So it looked like it was set up to seem like it was Matt Canada at Steelers.com. People pretty quickly pointed out that Steelers email addresses are not formatted this way. Um, it, there's, I forget what the specifics were. It's like it ends in Steelers.NFL.com and, and something else. But to me, I do, I think there is a grift here because look, I think there are a fair few people in, in Pittsburgh right now who might be trying to get Matt Canada out of there. And, you know, Kenny Pickett, I'm watching you. <laughs> I don't think Kenny Pickett has it in him to devise the scheme. Although it would be very on brand for Matt Canada to go through all these motions for very little payoff. Like, I don't know what he was benefiting <laughs> from. Like, that's Matt, Matt Canada's approach to offense. He's like motion all the time and then you run for two yards. Uh, it's, uh, what are we asking? Like, what's the grift? Is Matt Canada the grifter in this case? Is Kenny Pickett the grifter? I, it's clearly a grift, but I also support the cause. Anybody well, I willing mean, you, to... Like, Steven, you are the, the originator of the idea that the way to get someone away from your football team who's, who's hurting them is to frame them for a crime. I mean, this isn't a crime. But I think somebody in, in Pittsburgh is listening. I guess the grift would be that, that you're faking this to try to get the guy fired or at least publicly embarrassed. That's not nice. I mean, we shouldn't do that. But... Okay, yeah. So the question really is good grift or bad grift? I'm going to say good grift. I think it's a good grift. It was a good okay. day on the internet, so I'll take it. Uh, the next one on the list is Travis Kelsey slash Donna Kelsey. I'm going to let you handle this one. Huge grift. Did you see that the NFL responded to like a request for comment about if they've gone too far with the social media posts because Travis and Jason on their podcast were like, I think it's been a little much that they're showing Taylor in the box and blah, 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 blah. The NFL released a very, like, stern, serious comment to ESPN, I believe, being like, the NFL frequently changes its social media bios. Stop. I don't know if it's a grift, but just stop. Just everybody stop. Yeah, everybody stop. so much fun. And you're making it annoying. 
that's my thing. Like the people complaining that it's too much, they're the ones making it annoying. Like, right. I'm not the like, grift. I'm not active. The, talk yeah. about a grift. Is, is anyone being like performatively upset that their bastion of masculinity has been invaded by Taylor Swift? Like, I'm sorry. You're trolling for retweets there. That's the grift. We're on to you, Dov. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I am not like actively avoiding the Taylor Swift stuff. Like I'm not seeking it out either. And like I barely see any of it. I it's who fine. is checking yeah. the NFL social medias for their their header photo and their bio? Right. This hasn't hurt you. Like, is there someone that checks every week to make sure it's on the up and up? <laughs> like, what do they want there? Like, <laughs> Bill Walsh? Like, going back, it's like, oh, football is family. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> right. I don't Bill know. Walsh. You're getting mad about Taylor Swift when they, they put, like, end racism on the back of the end zones while, like, they're, like, blackballing Colin Kaepernick from the NFL. That's more upsetting than them cutting to Taylor Swift after the Chiefs score a touchdown. Who cares? I agree. It is more upsetting. All right. Any more grifters? They're all grifters. It's a league full of grifters. <laughs> I wish I was in it so I could grift. I'm just jealous. All right. One more break and then we'll come back, do a little bit of news, get out of here. Okay, we're back. So last couple of days, there were a couple of meaningful activations off IR or the pup list. Uh, Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis, Cooper Cup in LA. 21-day window open for both of them to return to play. It seems like Taylor, who is, who's been a full participant in practice this week, could actually play as, as soon as this weekend, although that's not totally clear. Um, Cup, who's coming off that hamstring, it seems like that's... It's, it might just be that we have less information. It might might just be that that's going to be a bit of a longer one. But let's start with Taylor. To me, he's a he's a pretty clear upgrade over Zach Moss, who's who's played okay, but just Jonathan Taylor's a lot more explosive, and that is something that I think could make a difference in that offense. What do you think he would be able to do for Anthony Richardson for the the Colts offense as a whole if he gets back in there? I think it just fills a gap that they currently have. And I don't blame it on the quarterback or even the play calling. I just blame it on the personnel. They have a wide receiver. Alec Pierce just isn't, he was supposed to be the field stretcher and he's, he's just not very good at making contested catches downfield. And it's kind of hard when you don't create separation to play like that. But they're 31st in EPA on the ground right now, EPA per play. So Jonathan Taylor is, is definitely going to improve that. They're not going to be 31st yeah. going forward. And I think what he does is he just adds another another chess piece, like a, another deterrent for defenses who might think about not loading the box up against this Colts run game that is built around the quarterback now. And now you have two two people to worry about. You have Jonathan Taylor and Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson, had, like they haven't taken off on the ground, but you could start to see them build that Philadelphia-style run game with him. And they're doing a lot of cool stuff, especially in the red zone. So I think this run game could be like a top five unit going forward. And so far, it's been a bottom two unit through the first month. And they're it's two and two. It's a little surprising they're, that they've been that bad with how... Because like Anthony Richardson himself has been 
good as a runner. He's responsible right, for, yeah. I think, like a third of their total rushing yards. You would think <laughs> that it wouldn't be so bad just with him, but it hasn't all come together. And I, I would imagine that Jonathan Taylor is a pretty, pretty easy missing piece to yeah. help that move towards the top of the league. The most surprising thing is they're 11th in defensive EPA. So if they can get a run game and like Anthony Richardson is just fine for like a rookie quarterback and like when they put the game on him at the end of that Rams game on Sunday, he answered the call. Like that was the best we've ever seen him in pure drop back situations. So I think he's capable of that. I don't think it's out of the question that this team can compete with the Jaguars who are very flawed right now for that division. I mean, we saw, like, I think the the um, game against the Jaguars was the first time when, you know, one of my one of my takeaways and the Jaguars offensive line has its own problems, certainly, which contributes to that. But that game, one of the biggest takeaways for me was that the, the Colts defensive line had something. Um, and I do think that they are a more well-rounded team than they seem like they could be. Um, so I'm excited to see this just because it's Anthony Richardson's been really fun to watch. It's a clear missing piece and adding some explosion to what they have going on offensively, I think would be would would matter a lot. And hopefully, obviously, we'll have to see how how he looks. Also have to see if any of the trade request stuff, the compensation stuff, the relationship between the player and the team. Um, if that's settled or if that's still a, a an issue, but that's one that I'm I'm I think he will make a pretty immediate impact for them. Cooper Cup now joining forces with with the receiver who's taken the league by storm, Puka Nakua. The Cooper Cup Puka Nakua skinny Matt Stafford offense. I think we talked about it a little bit on Sunday. I mean, what can't they do? Yeah, that's the question. Uh, Like the interesting thing will be how they kind of mix these two receivers who do have somewhat similar skill sets, but I I don't think that's going to be an issue. Like having too many guys that know how to run routes and get get open, I I like clearly Nakua's production is going to go down as a result. He's not a better player than Cooper Cup, and he's going to get a lot of those targets on third down that Nakua was getting. But I think this can work, and I think like we've seen. When the Rams went to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl, they had two receivers that could get open. Like we saw at the right. beginning of the year, they had Robert Woods serving that role with Cooper Cup. Woods goes down. Stafford starts to struggle. Then they get Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham gets up to speed with the offense. And all of a sudden, he's that second guy, that protection for Cooper Cup. And the offense takes off in the playoffs and they win the Super Bowl. I think we're going to get a similar effect. Now, the question is, like, what is the rest of the offense going to be? I think Matthew Stafford, as long as he's healthy, is going to be a top 10 type of quarterback. I think they're going to have, I would say, a top 10 receiving core with those two guys, especially if Nakua continues like this. The question is the offensive line, which has struggled in the losses, but has been good in the wins. And the Cincinnati loss was kind of, kind of came down to an injury. No boom goes out and then everything falls apart. So I think if the offensive line can be good and the run game can be good, and they have this passing game that they had two years ago, like, forget about the playoffs. The Rams might be able to win a game or two in the playoffs. I'm not counting them out. It comes down to Raheem Morris and the defense, which I think is better than we all expect it to be because of that effort and because of the slogans that they're wearing on their shirts. But I, I see a scenario where, like, the NFC West isn't as comfortable as we think it's going to be for the 49ers and even the Seahawks. I still, like, 
San Francisco to me is a is a cut above anybody else in in that region. Yeah, yeah of course. And I don't know in my heart of hearts if I think that that there's a real challenger, even including Seattle. I thought that they would be at the beginning of the year. I'm not quite so um, confident now. But I agree with you. I mean, at, at, at on the most basic level, the Rams at the beginning of the season seemed like one of the teams we were most likely to be talking about heading into the trade deadline, which we will be soon, as, all right, who might they offload? Is it time to really be sellers? Let's tear this thing down. I think that's out the window. And the funny thing is, I mean, it's the Rams we're talking about. If they think they have a shot to to go get better, now I think they're more likely to be buyers. What are they going to trade? They don't have any picks. They should just make don't up draft have, picks. Like, just no, lie. They like, have, yeah, don't they have their first? They have their first rounder next year oh, for no. the first time in seven years. That's burning a hole in uh, Les Snead's pocket. You just know he's he's itching to get that he's thing just out. Just like to trade it for something. Get this thing out of here. It's disgusting. You know how play. You know how teams like shop players. Like I'm sure Les Snead is just like shopping that pick. Like nobody knows where the pick's going to be. They're just he's just like anyone can have this. It's this old thing. Yeah. Don't want it. Having too way, much fun hanging out on hanging out on night one in the draft house. Don't want to have to use it. Yeah, he doesn't want to have to work. Like that's a smart move on his part. He only has to work. It's honestly brilliant two out of the three nights. But I'm looking at the EPA rankings. Do you know the NFC West is the only division with four top ten offenses by EPA? No other <laughs> division has four top fifteen offenses, and the NFC West is the only one with four top ten offenses. All of these the divisions, like. The NFC West is the only division that has held up anything resembling its bargain as being like a super division. A couple of years ago, it was supposed to be the AFC West. All of those teams are, except for the Chiefs, have not lived up to that. This year, the NFC East and the AFC East, at the beginning of the season, it was like, oh, the East. Who's going to win the East? Aaron Rodgers is, is is out. Aaron Rodgers is like giving weird comments about how disappointed he is that the Jets are are leaking information about how disappointed he is and the Jets leaking other information. The Patriots are bad. The Dolphins and the Bills are good. The NFC East, it's really just the Cowboys. The Eagles are are okay, but the Eagles aren't as good as they were. The NFC West has held up its end of the art, it, its end of the bargain. It's better than we thought it would be. I don't really know what the point I'm making right now is, but the AFC South I'm has held up its end of the bargain because every team in the division is 500 and perfectly mediocre, which is like that's how I want my my AFC South. That's how I want my AFC South. <laughs> the NFC South is like is being very NFC South too. Yeah. The South is always on brand. brand. The, the Southern divisions. I have to give them credit for that. Consistency. Not a grift. All right. This has been Dual Threat. I'm Nora Princiati. He's Steven Ruiz. We will be back on Sunday, but in the meantime... Excuse me. We will be back on Sunday, but in the meantime, Sheila Kapadia and Ben Solak will have you covered up next on this feed with Extra Point Taken. 
Thank you, as always, to Stefan Anderson for production on this episode and to our Gina Ramble Paul and Connor Nevins for additional production supervision. 